Who knows what this session is called? Leadership for what? A lifetime. That's right. Leadership for a lifetime. How many of you guys are planning on being a Christian for more than 10 years? Okay. More than 20 years. More than 30. You might go in for 50. Okay. 60. Okay. Yeah. We're going to be being disciples. Making disciples. Making memories. You know, for a long, long time. And so, do you want to know what you're going to look like 30 years from now? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Don't scare them, Tom. Oh, good looking. Hey, hey, here's what we want to do. This is actually always a highlight. This is always a highlight because when we do this, I know uh, people the first time, well, I wonder that, what that's going to be a, a, about. And it just ends up always being a highlight because... We're going to hear from a veritable, like a fount of wisdom, okay, uh, from a lot of different perspectives, and you're going to be able, and uh, the Holy Spirit will make a connection with you and with some of these people up here, and some of these uh, brothers and sisters may be a great resource to you, you know, for years to come. So uh, Jordan was going to read Ephesians chapter 4 for us, just with a good, loud voice from the back, because a mature church, hey, we'd like to be mature disciples, right? And we'd like to eventually help be a leader in a mature church. And the Bible tells us what does a mature church look like. And uh, we have a lot about the church in Ephesus, when it was founded. We've got a letter to the church. we got a letter to the minister of the church with Timothy. We see it later on, 30 years later in Revelation chapter 2. So we got a lot of information there. And here's what Paul says to us in the body of Christ in Ephesians chapter 4, I think beginning about verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. Then we will be no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow and become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's a great passage and a great one to really know and take to heart. And the Bible says, says there that God has given gifts to us. He's given us gifts individually to use uh, for him. But also he's given us gifts in the sense of, of people who have a certain role in the church. And he identifies you know, that, at least the ones that are here and present today, evangelists and elders or pastors, that's the same word, used interchangeably, uh, teachers, and we've heard from our congregational teacher, Douglas Jacoby, you know, earlier, you've been able to hear from uh, the two evangelists here at North River, at least, myself and Jeff Hickman, uh, and then also you've heard from an evangelist and a teacher, Ed Anton, who serves both of those roles, you know, in, uh, in Virginia Beach, and uh, we're going to get to hear tonight from some of our elders, uh, from their wives, and then from some people that, that helped form the, uh, the leadership team at North River. And uh, they're a tremendous group of people with a wonderful group of experience. They're going to introduce themselves and uh, let you know a little bit about them. And then we're going to hear from you with different questions you've got. And it could be anything from about how to grow a mature you know, church, because you do intend to be like a leader in God's church, right, as we, as we continue along. 
First uh, Timothy chapter three says, if anybody desires to be uh, has an ambition to be an elder, it's a noble thing. That's a good thing to aspire to that kind of that kind of leadership. So you can ask about that. You can ask about marriage and raising kids. You can raise questions about how to balance things. All these guys up here are professional people working at a very high level, you know, professionally as well. Uh, none of the folks that you see up here are full-time, you know, right now. Some have been in the ministry full-time at certain places, but uh, now they're not doing that. So any of those kind of questions, how to keep your faith strong year after year, et cetera, et cetera, deepen your Bible study, wealth of information here. So we're going to start off with uh, hearing from two of our elders, Bob Keene and uh, Kent Furlong. And Bob, take it away. I think your mic is right. That's more centered, though. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Way over on the left, right here. So. Uh, there are four elders. My name's Bob Keene. Ken Furlong is one of our other elders. And we have two other elders. Uh, Ross McKenzie, who had a scheduling conflict tonight. He'd love to be here, but he's got some uh, professional business he's got to take care of. And then John Schmidt, our fourth elder, has had some health problems, and so he's not able to make it as well. But we've got some great stand-ins here, and I think it's going to be a great night. On behalf of the elders, let me welcome you to North River. Now, I know you've already been welcome, and you guys have been here for a couple of days, but this is the first time the elders get to see you. So we want to welcome you. We're so thankful that you're here. We're so excited about the youth and what we call you, you guys are adults, um, the fact that we've seen such strong young men and women with deep convictions who really love God, love Jesus, and want to go out and take the gospel of the whole world inspires us, just really inspires us, encourages us. Because, you know, we're kind of going on the downslope a little bit. And we want to make sure that the people on the upslope are going to pick it up. I'm speaking for everybody up here. Whether they accept that fact or not. Actually, Tom asked me to uh, give the group a charge. And... Uh, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to do a charge. I'm going to tell you a story. Okay? Yeah. I, uh, I celebrate two significant milestones this year. The first one is that I turned 60. Now, I'm not sure I'm real fired up about that milestone. Because up until now, as long as I was in the 50s, I was getting away with calling myself middle-aged. I don't think I can say that anymore. But... I guess I can say it, but people say, you know, you're pretty self-deceived, you know, but anyway, I've turned 60. But the more significant milestone for me is that I'm also celebrating my 40th year as a Christian. And it was about this time, it was in the uh, spring of 1976, when a group of campus students left the Crossroads Church and went down to a church in Miami, and we had one fellow, his name was Dave Valiente, he was coming down there to serve for the summer as a campus ministry intern, and everybody else came down, and they came down with a mission mindset. And now they could have gone down, there's some great beaches in Miami, they could have just gone down there and hung out, but they didn't. They went out with a mission mindset that summer. 
And George Grima was one of those guys. His father was a chief master sergeant on the Air Force base. And so they decided that they were going to start a Bible study on the Air Force base. It wasn't legal, but, you know, they did it anyway. <laughs> they didn't know what legal But they went on to the Air Force base, and they started inviting people to come to this Bible study. Now, I was met pretty early on, but it took me a while to get there. I was not an easy conversion. And that's a long story, but I'll tell you that sometime. But the, what really is significant is that I was completely irreligious. I, you know, I was spiritually minded. I, I had come to believe in God in the sense that there was no other answer that made sense. But I was not a religious person. I did not go to church. I was uh, well on my way to being an alcoholic. I was a chain smoker. Uh, I had a serviceman's mouth. Um, I, was just, I was just a punk, like um, I think Brody was talking about last week ago Sunday. And so... These brothers came down, met me in May, studied with me throughout the summer. That summer, there were four people who became Christians off that Air Force base. Three of them are still Christians today. The fourth, maybe I just lost contact with them. I don't know. And there was, I think, one or two people became Christians off of the University of Miami that summer. Then they came back and went back to uh, Crossroads Church. And we were in this church that really wasn't that evangelistic, so it was this small group. And we didn't have a lot of support. But over the next two years, 35, over 35 people became Christians out of those combined ministries. Amen. Off of the Air Force Base and off of the University of Miami. From what they did that summer by going out and sharing their faith. Amen. And for me, that was pretty cool. But that's years and years and years ago. The impact for me has reverberated all through these 40 years because it's changed my life. I mean, you know, my lovely wife over there, Jackie, she's on the end. She's gorgeous. She's, she's far more spiritual than me. I, she would have had nothing to do with me if I hadn't become a Christian. As it was, she had to think twice about it when I was a young Christian. She would have had nothing to do with me. I would have never had, I had no example of good marriages anywhere in my family that I could, that I could look to until I became a Christian, became a part of the church, yeah. and learned through the church how to have a marriage. Amen. I have two grown children that they're both married, doing well, one, one couple's in Raleigh, one couple's in San Francisco. I was scared to death to have kids because I had no good example in any of my families, remote families, of how to raise kids. You know, we were just a mess. And I, that would never have happened. I would have never gone to college. I grew up in a very blue collar. I was the first person to go to college. The only reason I went to college is because the brothers and sisters encouraged me to go to college. Wow. I went on through undergrad and then went to law school. I never would have done that. I never would have, all the things that have happened, all the changes, I'm a completely different person today than I was 40 years ago. Amen. And that's from brothers and sisters going out for just a few weeks and sharing their faith and making a lifelong impact. So these mission teams that you're doing this summer and the things that you're training for, 
This is not just all hype, come here, let's have a good time together. This is, you're learning how to have an impact on somebody's life for eternity. And they are going to be grateful for an eternity. I'm so grateful that the brothers and sisters didn't go out there and hang out on the beach. But went out and shared their faith. So hopefully that charges you up. Because that can happen for you this summer as you go out and you share your faith. Amen. Uh, my brother Ken's going to come up. And share so we don't, hello, we don't recommend them doing anything illegal, right? No, no, nothing illegal. Even if you know it's illegal, don't do it, you know. Uh, so if you don't know it, Share your faith and see what happens, you know. Uh, but anyway, I'm the other Bob. You know, everybody always says, hey, Bob. And I'm like, no, I'm Ken. And they yep. ask him, hey, Ken. So Josh, leading the singing, was, was that Josh? Yeah. He came up to me and said, hey, you're Brandon's dad, right? I'm like, no, that's Bob. <laughs> but anyway, I, I said, when somebody needs a bill paid, you go see Bob. <laughs> that's the way it was. He used to write the checks. Anyway, my name's Ken Furlong. It's so great to see all of y'all. We, uh, we get to do this every year, and last year we missed it. So I'm sure some of you were here, we weren't. But it's so encouraging. And I remember, uh, first of all, my wife's name is Deb Furlong. She's sitting here waving at Jeb. I remember when I went off to college, uh, I, I, I was raised, me and Deb, in, in the Church of Christ. So I'm one of those kids that have been around the church all my life. So when I went off to college, I was trying to decide. My mother wanted me to go to a Christian college in Nashville. And I was like, I just want to go to the University of Alabama. And so I ended up finding out there was a, there was a, a dorm in, in Tuscaloosa that was owned by the Churches of Christ. I went up there, and you know, really, in high school and then as a freshman in college, I, I had that dream like you do, I want my life to make a difference. I want my life to make a difference. I came home, I finished college in one year. I went, and I said, that's it, I'm not doing this converted on campus in uh, Winston's uh, Raleigh Durham at the University of or North Carolina State. He came to Montgomery, Alabama, was in our church, and he had a major impact on mine and Deb's life. Shared with us a dream and a vision for what the kingdom of God could be, how we can make a difference in the world, and our in our life never changed. Never, you know, we changed and never went back to not having the dreams we believed we could help change the world. And you know what? We still do. Amen. I mean, we all do. At every every age of our life, we've been like, we want to help make a difference, change the world. So you'll always have that heart, which is a cool thing. But uh, I did want to share, I'm in the commercial real estate business. I've recreated my career several times <laughs> when one career would fizzle out. I have to recreate another, and I've always... There's been times when I've had, we've had brothers and sisters literally bring us bags of groceries, wow. and we had three kids. 
just to help feed us. We knew we couldn't pay the rent, but at least maybe they would bring us something to eat. So there's been a lot of ups and downs. There will be ups and downs, but we were always grateful to be Christians, we're always grateful to have our brothers and sisters. And we were always able to study with a lot of people and make a big difference. Uh, so in the 90s, we took a four-year mission trip to New York City and North Jersey, which you can tell I would fit in real good. <laughs> but here's the deal. None of y'all were born then, in the early 90s probably. Yeah. Yeah. Late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's true. But anyway, there's there's a young man in this room that was born the year we got up there. Buddy for study, stand up. Where are you? So Buddy, Buddy was born that year, and we became good friends with his parents and the church up there. Lifelong friends. We were up there four years and moved back. But Buddy was like one year old, you know. We babysat him. And took care of him. It's just a cool thing that he's here today. So your lives are going to, you know, don't burn any bridges with your brothers and sisters, you know, because eventually your lives intertwine and you see somebody and you pick right up where you left off. But anyway, I'm proud of all you guys. Uh, your lives will make a difference. I've never been in the ministry full time, never taken a paycheck from the church, but I'm, I'm grateful that. You know, I wouldn't have been up on the stage like some of y'all were today. That wasn't me. But uh, God's been able to use me, and I'm grateful for that. And I think God's blessed our mind and depth's faith and unity in every move, just believing that that's what God wanted us to do. And I believe he, he blessed that. So anyway, good to be here. Thank you, Ted. All right, we're going to hear briefly from uh, the rest of the, uh, the leadership team, and then we're going to take some of your questions, all right? My name is uh, John Haynes. Um, I'm an attorney, but I also help out part-time with my wife, who does administration here at North River. So we try to help solve problems. But it seems like we are all in the problem-solving business here, because nothing excites me more, actually, than campus ministry, because I was converted on campus. It was my freshman year at Princeton University. And... Um, <laughs> Never underestimate, I, I was one of the nerdy types, could not relate to people, and I actually had to be, ta I had to be taught how to have fun. You know, Tom Turnbull took me out, teach me how to play golf. So, literally, but never underestimate the impact you can have on somebody's life in campus, and strangely enough, one of the people, some of the people we became good friends with in New York were Buddy Firstace's parents as well. So I'm telling you, there's a lot of but, but campus is close to our heart because we have a son here too, also yeah, who happens to be single at the moment. Thanks. 
executives? Oh, I, I lived in New York City, and yeah, we, we lived diagonally across from the four states, and we know all of the furlongs from being in New Jersey. And um, anyway, I was converted as a very young executive, and uh, after I got converted, it was very clear to me that uh, I had a purpose in my life, and so my first purpose was to make money and make it to the top as quick as I could, which I did, and I worked at it. And when I became a Christian, I knew that there was more than that, because I already was making, before I turned 30, over $100,000, and this was 40 years ago. So I, was, I knew what I wanted, and as soon as I met Christ, I knew exactly what I wanted. But the good thing about getting prepared, going to college, and getting a career is that you can do what I did. I went on nine mission plantings, wow. nine mission plantings that I loved, and I was able to do it while still doing work and making a living and helping the church support it financially. Uh, John and I also serve with the Millennium Group that meets in Atlanta. All the young uh, professionals are right out of school, and we're having a great time getting to know what all the young ones think. Uh, we also led the campus ministry in New York City for a while, and so we love the campus. And before we moved here, we did the campus in Palm Beach. So we love the young and we love the campus. Thank you. I'm Sandy Andrew my beautiful, handsome husband. to UMass Boston, and nobody reached out to me, oh. but I know, but um, <laughs> so, um, when I graduated, though, many of you know this, I bought a one-way ticket to Europe. I landed in some of the cities you are going to the summer, to Paris and Geneva, and just followed my nose for a whole year. I was just so desperate, <laughs> just so lost, so wandering, so just wishing somebody would sit me down at a cafe with a coffee and say, here's why you're on planet Earth. Like, wow. I just desperately wanted answers and direction, and so for a year I just was aimless. And anyway, came back, and, um, and I was met and studied and became a disciple. Awesome. So um, I've done a couple of short stints. I think they called them internships. I'm not sure, but I did one month um, in London, England, and then three months in Bombay, India. Mumbai, I guess now. Bombay then. Um, and then... Got married a little later in life, and then um, Matt and I will he'll talk more about Kuwait, but then we spent seven years in the Middle East and Kuwait mostly. Um, and then, let's see, uh, we, most of you know who are here, Shepherd, uh, one of the four Shepherd couples for the campus, and I love, love that. And then I have two part-time jobs, one is for North River, and then one is for Douglas Jacoby, and so been busy and love life, love being a disciple of Jesus. Um, at the name of Jesus, I get tearful. I just love him. And, uh, great to be here tonight. I'll sit down. Um, my name is Matt Angelbell, and this is my beautiful wife. Um, I was converted in the campus ministry and, uh, in Oklahoma. Um, the, um, 
I became a Christian, at, and then uh, right after that, I got involved with the, uh, had a Bible talk on campus, and then I got involved with the teen ministry there, and then later on graduated, and then uh, moved to Boston to go to grad school at uh, Boston University, and then, yeah, go be you. Uh, and then uh, in my second semester, um, many of you have heard the story before, uh, I got a call at 2 in the morning asking me to move to Jordan, Amman, Jordan, to be serve as a campus minister on the mission team. And uh, so, beware of 2 a.m. calls. <laughs> I, said, I said yes, and then I said, I put the phone down, I go, oh my goodness, I just said yes. <laughs> but it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it changed my life. Uh, we didn't get to stay there too long. I had to come back. But uh, what I did is I came back, got a job, and, um, and started working. And, and it's amazing is that two of my friends from that time are sitting right back there. Yeah. Greg Dillon and Greg Holland. Yeah. Yeah. We were together uh, 25 years ago. We were all getting together after 25 years. Yeah. And um, after that, uh, what, what ended up happening is uh, we were asked to move to uh, LA to train for the ministry. All this time, I, I worked. I, when I worked, I did well at, at my job, and then, you know, did the ministry, and, and did Bible talks, led family groups, all the time that I worked. And then we moved, because of the interest of working in the, uh, in the ministry in, in the Middle East, we moved to L.A. to train, and we were there for five years when our, and uh, right after our, our marriage, uh, after our wedding, and, uh, and we, uh, both the kids were born there, and then we took a, a, a team of three to plant the church in Kuwait. And Kuwait, as you know, nobody heard about Kuwait then. But everybody heard about it later. But even, at, even in Kuwait, I worked for Ernst & Young uh, as a consultant, as a management consultant, um, and, and was leading the church. So I had to do, you know, do my midweeks on the flight back while I'm traveling and, you know, would preach and then say, okay, I'm off to the airport. Uh, but it was one of the most mm -hmm. hardest and one of the most, you know, the most uh, rewarding things that I did was to serve as a minister and not, you know, as a, and hold a secular job. And then we came back after that, we moved here to North River. One of the best things we did was to move to North River, best place to come in and, and have great people, like the elder, having the elders here that have helped us with our marriage, with our parenting. We're very grateful. And even then, now we've, we continue to work. I, I work at, uh, at the Coca-Cola company right now in, the, in their uh, supply chain group. And uh, we are still connected with the Auburn Church. We're still connected with the, I, I still have tied in with the uh, Middle East ministries. but. One of the great things we enjoy here is the campus ministry. Mm -hmm. And as Sandy mentioned, the, uh, being shepherds of the campus ministry is really wonderful, and we enjoy that role very much. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Uh, it is great to see you guys. And I don't know if I need a mic, but I'll use it. I have a pretty loud mouth. Uh, but, uh, my name is Anton Ivey, and uh, two of the five women besides Jesus that have turned my life upside down are here. My beautiful wife, Sharon, and my youngest daughter, Tony. Tony! 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 
four daughters, uh -oh. and uh, ranging from 32 to 20, 19, 19. I wanted a boy. I didn't get a boy, so I named my last daughter Antoinette. Anton, Antoinette, Antoinette, Anton. Uh, I was converted uh, in the campus ministry, and so uh, I love, this is so inspiring seeing all you guys. Uh, I played, uh, and I was converted to University of Illinois, I played football there, and then uh, unbeknownst to me, I had no desire to go into the ministry uh, two years later. I did the ministry for nearly 30 years. Uh, led the campus ministry at the University of Illinois, met my beautiful wife, uh, led sectors and regions in Chicago, moved to L.A., was appointed as an evangelist, as also an elder. Uh, then we moved back to Chicago, came out, went back into ministry, came out, and four and a half years ago, we moved here. And uh, North River has had a tremendous impact on my family. Uh, three of my four daughters became Christians and one of their husbands in 2012. Wow. Uh, we have four grandchildren, wow. 10 to 3. And uh, I don't have any hair now, so that's partially why. And, uh, uh, so it's, it's been quite a ride. Uh, uh, I think Ken mentioned how he and his wife have had to reinvent themselves when we moved here. We, we reinvented ourselves. So we have our own pastoral counseling practice, and uh, I work part-time with the youth and family ministry, specifically uh, the parents. I as well was uh, converted in campus. Uh, actually, my second semester junior year at NIU, and uh, was asked to do campus ministry work back then, and I was like, no, I'm going to go to Hollywood and make movies. I graduated in radio, TV, film, production, and then after I graduated, I was asked again to go into the ministry, and at that time, I was like, okay, God, I need to respond, and that was nearly 30 years ago as well, and um, so worked, um, actually married a campus minister, so I have a real heart for campus ministry. <laughs> but Anton was a campus minister there at the time, and I was leading in the singles ministry in Chicago. Uh, I can't think of anything. We did have the opportunity to go to um, L.A. right after the riots, and we helped to uh, work in the Cross and Switchblade ministry. So we did that for quite a while. But had the opportunity in Los Angeles and in Chicago to work in the urban ministry, and we did have the opportunity to really help and convert ex-gay members, wow. the whole nine yards, and so we were really excited about that. Uh, we had a chance briefly to work uh, as mental health professionals, and during that time we also had the opportunity to help some of the victims of Hurricane Katrina. So our heart has been to not only minister, but to minister in the community. Love the campus ministry. It's great to see you guys, and I know that God's going to use you in a powerful way. And we have six grandkids and one on the way. So we have a big family now. 
And I think the thing for Ken and I, I cry every time I share it. I think the thing for us, we became Christians, I was 27 and Ken was 33. And so we'd been, you know, around and lived life. And um, he grew up in a very um, healthy Church of Christ family, and I grew up in the country club Church of Christ family, which meant you showed up on Sunday and no one really knew if you were ever there. So I didn't have the background that he had, but we both had a conviction that we wanted to raise a family that was close and that loved God. Got this. And God answered those prayers. And I think that's what's made Ken such a great elder is he's a protector, and he's protected me and helped me to grow, and I love that you guys get to hear this at your age. When we were in the church, we were all the same age. No one knew anything, but we thought we did. We <laughs> 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 really bad. We made each other feel awful, and, you know, it took us a long time to recover. <laughs> so, you're very blessed. You're very blessed. Not that we have all the wisdom. you that um, your lives matter. Whatever yeah. turns they take, they may not seem like everything that you wanted it to be at some points, but God makes it clear how he's going to use you, and you just never really know, and I'm so grateful to be in this church. I, like Sandy, love Jesus so much. He saved us from so many things, yeah. and he helped us create a family that wasn't dysfunctional. Mine's extremely dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. Dysfunctional. It took me a long time to understand how to undo that dysfunction. Yeah. Yeah. But be open with each other. Really learn from each other. And when you see something that looks good and healthy and holy, stay close to that yeah. and let that change you. I love being with these people. <laughs> I love this group, and I'm so grateful. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. working. Okay. Um, oh, I don't know where to begin, but I know my story is quite different than... <laughs> we all have different stories, that's the thing. And when I was in high school, when I was in 10th grade, actually, I told my older brother, I said, we, we had never gone to church, and I told my older brother, I want to start going to church. I know, I know there's a God. I had a faith, but I didn't know where to start, you know, and I wanted, so I knew my, my older brother could drive. I couldn't drive yet. <laughs> so I talked to him first, and he said, I've been thinking the same thing. And anyway, we started, so we went first to the Catholic church, and we couldn't understand a word. <laughs> went to the, I mean, you know, all the churches in the city, and my mom said, you know, your aunt goes to a church of Christ. And it seems to be Bible, just Bible, real simple. So we went there, and as soon as we went, the Bible was used. What a concept, you know? <laughs> and they were verses and everything. And um, so I thought, well, this is obviously God was working. And I love what Ed said this morning, just about the Holy Spirit, because you know what? 
he is going, if we're tied in and really praying <coughs> and faithful, the Spirit will guide us. Yeah. And he can guide us through anything. And yeah. even me, as not knowing anything, having no background, he was working through his word and through the people that didn't have it all together completely. But yet, they had enough together that they knew the basics and they knew how to help me and my brother. My brother ended up being, he was about ready to go to college. He was, he was baptized, went into the ministry, ended up doing mission work. I mean, you know, long story. But both of us were really on fire. Now, we couldn't, when I went off to college, I wanted to go to Christian college. I was shocked at what's wrong with everybody. I mean, I was going on all these campus, you know, during the breaks we had these mission teams that would go out during our school breaks and, and out from this Christian Christian college. <laughs> and But there wasn't a, I thought there would be hundreds and there were only a few of us. You know, there's just a group of us that would go, but we'd go door knocking. We would do all that we knew to do at the time. And anyway, I did study later and was told, no, don't worry, you, you, <laughs> you knew what you were doing back then. Because I knew, I was told about lordship. I really yeah. understood when I was baptized at age 15 and a half, <laughs> I knew that I was giving my life over. <clears throat> And it changed my life. It really, and I learned. And again, I, yeah. I just look back and see all that the Holy Spirit, the way that He works. And I met my husband. Um, I ended up moving to Gainesville, Florida, because I was always looking yeah. for the place where there were other spiritual people. I was always a seeker. Mm -hmm. And you know, what we need to remember is that the Holy Spirit is going to work on our <clears throat> lives. We can make mistakes. I ended up meeting Bob, and within a few days. <laughs> yeah, this was not a mistake. <laughs> um, I was very, no, it was, you know, we both were, <laughs> we were both pretty sure pretty quickly, you know, but um, we were good, <laughs> and we, but I told him about the third date, I said, honey, I've got this disease called lupus, and I had just been diagnosed with it. And I, I often tell him, honey, I told you on our third date, <laughs> I lupus. Because he's, it's, you know where the Bible says, um, thank God for all of your trials and everything. <laughs> that was written for my husband. <laughs> because there have been many things we've gone through. But we've also learned through all of the things that God's taken us through. And that's what I'd like to Amen. encourage you with, is just knowing that with God and His Holy Spirit, He's going to guide us. He's going to give us strength no matter what the circumstances. He'll, he'll really make clear what our steps need to be, and we can just trust. And I know you guys all do, or you wouldn't be here. You really love Him, and I'm really proud of all of you guys and grateful. We, as we mentioned, just it encourages us so much. To see as we're getting old, we're kind of getting older. <laughs> but just to see so many hearts that are really on fire for God. Amen. Uh, I know this has been meaningful already, but we've got some really great uh, opportunities now to be able to ask some questions. I'm going to take about three questions and we'll let anyone on uh, the panel you know, respond to it. Uh, we'll go to some other questions. They may double back on one of the earlier questions. And so uh, we'll start off. Late. Go ahead. Oh, Joseph. Last year I was here, and uh, you were talking about how you went to Jordan and 
all these other places around the country. And I was like, wow, I want to do that. Um, and I'm actually going on a mission to Paris for about a week and a half. It's awesome. I've never been overseas. I've never done any of that before. And I'm excited to um, make a difference. But I guess, what's your advice to, to, to someone like me? You know, I want to I want to baptize people. I want to make make an impact. But I'm going to this new place, this new language. I don't know anything. Right. I just know what I've seen in pictures and movies, and all I know is I want to do something. Um, and so. Yeah, All right, thanks. So, uh, as Joseph did, if you want to address it to somebody specifically in the panel, great, or a general question. Okay, let's take another one. Right here. Yeah, go ahead. I'm a kingdom kid. There's a couple of us in this room. Um, you got, a lot of you guys have kids in the kingdom. But I wanted to ask, um, what is something that you really, really desire from your relationship with your kids and their futures? Mm -hmm. like, um, what you want them to do in the kingdom, like to carry on? what you guys have already built up. Thank you. Mine's also kind of parenting related, I guess sort of directed at Deb, but anyone. Um, I come from a very atheist family who loves me, but it is not communicated well at all, so I don't really have good examples outside of the church, which I'm still newish to for good parenting. So I guess partially advice in trying to be a good parent, and then I'm not sure if I can even really trust my parents spending much time with my kids, so how to handle that. Sure, I'll, I'll address uh, Joseph's uh, question. I think that I remember um, getting ready to go on the, on the team. The, the one thing that we did, we all got together, and I remember our, our, um, our uh, leader, um, saying the most important thing is to stay close to God, is to really, really work hard, fight for your relationship with God. Because there were a lot of things, and, and it was amazing. You, I ended up having to spend a night at the airport because I couldn't get my visa, so I had to spend a whole night. My co-leader co had appendicitis and needed an emergency appendectomy. All this in a matter of two weeks after we landed there. Uh, we got, we had all kinds of issues, but the thing that kept us going was we said, we made a decision that we were going to fight to stay close to God, mm -hmm. and that made the difference when we went out there, and it's amazing how the church is doing today, and the campus ministry there, so all glory to God. Um, I wanted to say something to the brother that asked about what we wanted to pass on to our kids, and I think the thing to me that I think about is that um, the question that Jesus asked, will I find faith on the earth? You know, we want our families to have faith in Jesus, not in a church that is just about people or congregation, but about the body of Christ. And that our purpose is to fulfill God's purposes in our life and, um, and hope that they can and will remain faithful. And that's the most important thing, just doing the next right thing for God. And um, that he'll take care of that if we're faithful to him, you know. He really will. And um, I'd like to have a conversation with you afterwards. But I, I do think that it's hard. We've had to be careful with my family, with our children. We were very limited our their time with them and um, protected. Not that they didn't spend time with them. They did. But um, the things that my particularly my father would say, we just didn't want my kids to hear, our kids to hear. So we would just tell them, talk a lot beforehand about what our 
our family believed and what they believed was different. We're just very open in, in communication. But it talked a lot about loving unconditionally. And that is so hard whenever you have differing ideas about what your life is about. But um, my advice to you is to find someone to parent you now as a Christian. To find a mother in the faith that can really teach you what it means to be a Christian daughter. And if you can find that, you know, you will find gold because they will help you because you you need those people that can help you through every stage of life. I think she's looking at you. I had a um, quick thought. Um, Joseph, I just wanted um, to add to what Matt said. I've been to Paris twice, but not as a disciple. And I, even as a non-disciple, I could notice that they have a whole different mindset, different frame of reference. So my thing to you would be, don't get discouraged because, and I don't know if you've been raised in the South, but Parisians are not like Southern U.S., you know, Southern Americans. So the receptability to even talks and questions about religion, you know, they'll turn on the heel and walk away. Or So just not to grow weary and not to be discouraged when you get a lot of no's. Just persevere, push through, keep, like you said, love God, and you'll, you'll do great. And if I could just, since I have the mic already, um, Abram, um, Abram asked a great question, my goodness, but um, I guess... One, one thing immediately comes to me is what I want for my children. I want my, my son, our son is not a disciple yet, um, but I would want our children to be sitting here years to come. Not, not that they know everything, but to be sitting here with all, and, and be able to say all that God has done in their lives and maybe to have their children sitting in front of them as disciples. So that's one dream I have. Uh, I think, uh, Abram, in regards to your question, for me, I think I, I would love for my daughters. It's said that the longer you're around as a Christian, the more Jesus comes into focus for you. Mm -hmm. So when you're young, you look at all the great characters in the Bible, David and the great women in the Bible. But as you get older and you go through your ups and downs, Jesus becomes more in focus. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, that Jesus will be their focus. I, and I want them to be women of impact. And uh, I don't want them to compromise their standards. Mm -hmm. And I say this to all the sisters. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of men that hit on you guys. Mm -hmm. Do not compromise your standards. If you want to get married, the man that you want is waiting for you. It will be worth the wait. Amen. So that would be the big thing. I think the other thing is I want to see my grandchildren be faithful in sight. Um, so, John and I come from parents that are both agnostic, close to atheist, both of them. Um, we really, I, I totally agree with Deb. Um, on the other hand, for us, we opted to encourage our son to get to know his grandparents. And as a family, we wanted to make sure we had an impact on them. And while not all of them became Christians, some have, and some of them became very um, friendly to the church. My father provided a building for the Church of Christ in Puerto Rico to meet for years. And they loved the church and they loved our lives. So, you know, as you learn to be a Christian mom, as Deb was saying, finding somebody to help you, um, you will be able to show them what it's like to be in the light. And it'll be very rewarding. 
to you and I think even to them. Um, one, one thought and one legacy to pass on is I think, I think radical is more of a state of mind than it is the result. So wherever you go in the world, whether it's here or Paris or you know, Kuwait or anywhere you go, impact is not going to be measured by the number of people that you affect, but it's going to be measured by your faith and your ability to influence maybe even one. You influence the right person, that can have a huge impact for eternity. You know, it may not be thousands, hundreds, but each person that you influence and impact, it will make an impression. And, one, you know, one of the answers to atheism, C.S. Lewis wrote his book, Mere Christianity, as a response to atheism. Franklin Francis Collins wrote his book, The Language of God, as his walk and journey from atheism. One of the best things that has always worked with Islam, Islam or atheism or anything is loving people. When you set an example of serving and loving people, it's hard to come back and argue against that. And if your explanation is, my love and service comes from my conviction about God, it's hard to argue with that. I just wanted to share just real quick about what I would want my children to, what I want to pass on to them. All of our children were kingdom kids, and I think one of the things that stood out to me as we have gone through ups and downs in our lives, I remember one of my daughters said, you guys used to be religious, now you're spiritual. I think it's very easy for kingdom kids to be religious. Um, I think when you grow up in an environment where people are loving God, you know, for Anton and I, our parents were lost. We were raised by parents that were not disciples, and so it was very easy to see our need for God. But I think sometimes kingdom kids, because they live in this bubble of everything being great, it is easy to be religious, and you know the Bible, you're going to do the right things, and I would say with my kids, when they said that to me, it made me realize that some of the religiosity was that we always painted this perfect picture of Christianity. And we were not real about having attitudes. You know, like when people are talking to you in your mind, you're thinking, shut up, shut up, talking to me, I don't want to do that. You know, we were just never really honest with our kids that, yeah, it's hard to do what is right. It's hard to... Uh, love unconditionally when you feel like you've been hurt as I think someone shared earlier back in the 80s and the 90s it, it was rough <laughs> times I mean to get through with your faith uh, intact and so that's what I want to pass on I want my children to be spiritual uh, to really love God and not just know the right Jesus loved the children and all that they've learned that can really just be memorized but not really heartfelt so that's what I want to pass on to yeah. thank you guys all right uh, some more questions uh, yes right back there see, see. hey how are you guys um, so something that Deb and Sandy touched on a little bit well not kind of touched on but I saw um, is your heart towards like Jesus I never like really felt emotional when like you know just hearing his name and so my question is what did you fight for to 
get your hearts to that point in the mentality you fight in the process of Yes, Chris. Thank you. First of all, thank you guys for sharing all this wisdom. It's I kind of have like a two-parter. Um, it's one in working secular jobs. How has that been for you? You know, really trying to bridge the gap between having your job and, and career, and really you know helping because we're all in the ministry and helping and um, getting in studies and, and helping people come to Christ. And then yeah. the second part is um, as a non-kingdom kid. Uh, becoming a disciple and really working with my parents. Um, my dad says he's, he's convicted and he wants to get baptized, but he feels like he's leaving my mom behind. Um, she's kind of lagging behind a little bit. How can I respectfully spur her along and not really cross that boundary of like not respecting my parents? Um, so yesterday I talked a lot about the church and even touched on the letter in 2003 and stuff and um, my parents were disciples um, during all that and like prior and in leadership and I was just asking my dad I was like how did you remain faithful through all of that and just facing the persecution from family the questions that people would ask and all of that so I just wanted to kind of ask like what did you cling on during that time and yeah okay great let's wow. uh... <laughs> I'll share a few things. Uh, well, and I wanted to follow up with the question about having a secular job, because that's all I've ever had. What I've clung on to, there's been a lot of hard times. Actually, when I was 17 in high school, and a year after we moved up here to be part of the most spiritual church ever, the church split, blew up. 17, and then 17 years later, that was 86. Then 17 years later, in 2003, it blew up. Wow. So, but those weren't the worst times of my life, necessarily. They really weren't. I was always grateful for Jesus. Yeah. You know, grateful that my sins were forgiven. Yeah. And that's just kind of it. To me, I'm not a deeply spiritual guy. I'm no John Haynes. Or I'm none of these guys. These guys are smart students. They graduated from college. <laughs> but anyway, as far as a secular job, that's me. When I got married, before I got married as a young man in the Church of Christ, I dated friends at school. A couple of girls in the Church of Christ wouldn't go out with me or they weren't that interesting to me. And I dated what I called good girls that believed in God. But I got to the point when I was about <clears throat> 21, 22, I'm not dating anybody that's not a member of the Church of Christ. And I, that's just the way it was going to be. I just wouldn't go out with anybody unless they were. And so I dated one girl who was like two years younger than me, and I'm like, in the church of Christ, I'm like, I'm never dating a young girl like that again. There, you know, I'm so mature, you know. <laughs> and so then I ended up on a blind date with Deb, who's six years younger than me, and married her. You know, God set that up. Uh, member of the Church of Christ. Well, number one, make a decision to marry somebody that's going to help you spiritually get to heaven. Yeah. Because yeah. that was what I wanted was to get to heaven 
And then I was like, okay, my number one goal now, I'm married, is to get my wife to heaven. Wow. And then when the children came, it was the children. So, yes, actually my schedule was a lot busier then, even with a lot of church studies and things. And I'm always willing to get in on studies now uh, and whatever I can. But my first priority always has been to get Deb to heaven and to get the kids to heaven. And then when I can jump in on studies with the rest of the world, I want to do that too. But I'm going to tell you, you don't want to win the world. Right. Right. That's right. Just don't. And, and the, the biggest way we can multiply is converting our children and trying to figure out how to help our children convert their children. And, you know, I'm not always that good at it. And, you know, we've got a long ways to go. But anyway, that's my thoughts about that. <clears throat> I'm going to try to answer all three of them. If there I you go. Because wow. <laughs> I like all three of the questions. Um, as far as dealing with the hard times, when I first became a Christian, I, we were a small group of campus, uh, I wasn't in campus, I was in the service, but campus stage people, fired up Christians, but the church itself was fairly dead. And so it wasn't too long that they didn't like all these excited kids running around. Just they... We kind of got pushed out of that church. And then we got went to another church. Our little group moved to another church. And we were really fired up. They were fired up to have us. But again, we were a little bit too fired up for some of the older folks. And we kind of got pushed out of that church. And so then we went to another church. And that church was awesome. But then it kind of slowed down and you know, died down a little bit. And so then I went to another church. And then wow. there was a church split. And so, you see, that, that's going to happen because we're people. Yeah. It's just difficulties are going to come. My go-to scripture it was always out of John 6. To whom shall we go? Yeah. Yeah. To whom shall we go? I, there was nowhere else I was going. Yeah. I, was, I was following Jesus, and there was no other answer. Yeah. And whatever came, that's where I was going. And then in 2003, the things that were happening in 2003, um, I did a study on Joshua and Caleb. And, you know, Joshua and Caleb and the ten other spies going to the promised land, Joshua and Caleb come back, and they did the right thing. They had a positive report. They were faithful. The other ten jokers, <laughs> they're the ones that broke the hearts of the people and discouraged them. And so for 40 years, Joshua and Caleb are walking around with those jokers, and you never once hear them say, you know, if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't be here. They were faithful, they were consistent, they continued to, through all of that difficult times of 40 years in the wilderness, you never once heard a complaint out of them, and then they became the two leaders of bringing the Israelites into the promised land. So it just taught me that, you know, you just got to stay faithful regardless of what, whose fault it is or whatever, whatever the troublesome times are. It's not about finding fault, it's about being faithful. Yeah. And um, as far as a career, um, one of the things that helped me was a scripture about consider your leaders and the outcome of and their way of life. I was um, working downtown in a law firm, we were a boutique law firm. We did a lot of work for the uh, premier law firms downtown because they would have like an insurance company merger. They would call us in 
because we did insurance regulatory work. And I was in a board meeting one time, mahogany table, huge conference room. The pictures on the, one of those pictures was worth more than my annual salary. I mean, it's just, just so impressive. And the guys around the table, they were like the premier corporate lawyers in, in the South. And, but I looked at them and I thought, man, is this all there is? Mm -hmm. I want to end up like these guys. Mm -hmm. They're nothing like the leaders in my church mm -hmm. and the inspiration that I derive from them. And I made a, 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 I'd already had the decision, but just drove it home that, <clears throat> you know, doing well in your career is important, but it's not the solution. Yeah. I really need to be faithful. Yeah. And um, there was one other question there. Oh, your heart. Um, one thing I realized, I, for a long time what I would used to do is, the whole, when people talk about love Jesus and those kind of things, I wasn't a real emotional guy. It's kind of like, I might realize I had an emotion like two weeks later. <laughs> it's hard for me to, you know, come up with an emotion. And so people were talking about loving Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And it just wasn't working for me, you know. But what I found is that um, the more you focus on him and the more you try to follow him, yeah the more you're going to appreciate him over time. Yeah. Yeah. And the more you're going to be amazed at him. I am more amazed at Jesus today yep. than I was when I was converted. Yeah. Yeah. I am more in awe of him. Yeah. I just can't believe that he did what he did mm -hmm. and how he did it and how perfect he was. And it's just a process of you, you just continue to grab onto his coattails and don't let go. And that will grow. Um, I have, of course, I have another story that um, it, it relates to Jesus. And I was watching a woman one night who has Alzheimer's, and she was non-communicative. I sat with her on a midweek so that her husband could come to church. And um, they said that she liked to be sung to, so I took my hymn book and I sang. And I noticed every time she would just lay her head down on the sofa and just listen, but every time I'd sing a song with the name Jesus, with the word Jesus, she'd sit up and try to sing. So, of course, over the next hour, I just kind of experimented. I was just fascinated that she would sit up with the name of Jesus. And that had such a huge impact on me, that at the name of Jesus, there's power in that. And I think, like Bob, I've just learned through the years the power of Jesus in my own life. And I think it's easy to have emotion about something that has given me so much. Wow. That I can never get back all that he's given to me. I think we sang a song about that this morning, didn't we? There's power in the Jesus break every chain, break every chain. Let's take a few more questions, and the panel can double back on anything we've already talked about. All the way in the back, yeah. Uh, so the question I had, um, so I know you guys like were raised like back in the day. generation from us, like you guys got to witness like this right now, like kids really going after their relationship with God, and um, I like to dream a lot. So I'm thinking of like how can like we as a generation stay dreaming if the world's just going downhill? Yeah. Like, what advice would you give us for something? Thanks, bro. 
Right there. Yeah. Personally, um, I'm just curious. Um, like, I'm wondering how would how would someone go about approaching um, any elder or just anyone older, maybe asking to see if they could be like their spiritual parent or something. Just because, um, just because personally, ever since I became a disciple, my family used to be kind of separating and splitting apart. And I think for me personally, I would it'd really be helpful for me to have that support from people that are that are wise and that can help me grow spiritually alongside my brothers and sisters. So I'm just curious how would someone go about doing that? how much this means. I remember like you guys talking last year and how much of an impact that had on my life. Like just from even you guys sharing how long you've been disciples, how long you've been married. So I really appreciate you for that. Um, I think my question is kind of addressed to the Haynes, but I think it can be um, kind of answered by anyone as well. Um, you kind of talked about, I don't know if you were saying, Mr. Haynes, if you were converted while you were a student at Princeton or if you were, and I think that kind of impacted me a lot because with the, the school that I go to, it's very it's a very tough environment spiritually. It's a very academically driven environment, and you go to someone, you try talking about God, and they throw a bunch of you know research at you. They throw scientific articles at you. They throw large words and kind of their <laughs> they throw their mind view at you and just say you know I'm the God of my own life, um, and that's really difficult because in a way it gets discouraging to even see the hope on campuses like that for people to be saved if they're really the God in their own lives or if they think they're almost too smart for their own good. Um, and even like with professional worlds as well because everyone's either heading into a world of academia or a professional um, career. Just how do, you, how do you find light there? How do you seek that out and really pull that out? Yeah. Great question. Great question. Uh, I'll, I'll answer this brother's question and, and this brother's question. Uh, you know, I've had times in my life where I didn't dream. Uh, try not to ever get there. Okay? Uh, I think when I look at Jesus' life and you look at the period of time that he was in, it was just as crazy, if not more. But I think Jesus looked through eyes of faith and he saw the world hurting, so he saw it as a great opportunity. Don't let anybody in the church or out of the church put you in a box. Yeah. You have some brothers and sisters that, amen, awesome. You have some other brothers and sisters that, oh, I don't know about that. You go on the convictions that God puts on your heart along with the advice of others. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what I would, I would say to that. Uh, brother, in terms of uh, how do you go about that, I, I think you started tonight. Being vulnerable, being open. Uh, I would love to talk to you afterwards. And uh, we'll, by God's grace, we'll work that out. But you, there's plenty of spiritual parents uh, that want to be there for you, that have gone through what you've gone through, and they're doing great. And uh, so, so we can we can talk afterwards. I was thinking as well. Uh, Anton and I have a Christian counseling practice, and um, it's interesting. One day we uh, got a phone call, 
and this uh, guy said, I heard you guys are gay friendly. Uh, would you guys like to advertise in our newspaper uh, in terms of getting counseling? And uh, Anton's response, and my response, yes, we are gay friendly. We're friendly to anybody who wants to know because we're a Christian counseling practice. And I, I think sometimes we kind of shy away because we think, wow, these people are so far out there. But that's just the point. They're so far out there. They really do need love and guidance and help. I mean, I, you're right. There's so much going on. I'm looking at the whole thing with the transgender and uh, this eight-year-old girl who wants to be a boy, and so their parents are treating her as a son. And it's just so much confusing out there. Confusion out there. But the issue is what Jesus says: love. Love will cover over a multitude yeah. of sin. If you really love people and you treat them with the respect that everybody wants to be treated with, they'll see that difference in you. you know, And it'll make a difference. But we, we are the light of the world. We need to shine brighter in the darkness. And, um, and so I, I, I think the answer to it is just love. Jesus loved people unconditionally. And, if that's your heart, you'll, you'll see your way through all that. And you'll have dreams. You'll look at your campus, and you'll have a vision. You'll look at these marginalized people, and you'll have a vision for them uh, on how they can come out of there and get their lives restored through God. Um, one, one common thread is part of the answer to the atheist or the practical atheist, which many of the universities uh, are, or the brother who asked about how do you respectfully talk to your parents, understanding that um, you know you have uh, a duty to respect to respect your parents. Well, for, first off, realizing that there could be an issue in how you talk to your parents is is half the battle. So, kudos to asking the question, <laughs> recognizing there might be an issue. Many many people might not realize there could be an issue with how one talks to one's parents. But um, with, when one answers with love, respect, and dignity, kind of like what Anton and Sharon were sharing, is when you serve people, when you love people, it can cut through some of the academic um, front that goes on. But the other answer is almost any academic discipline tells you you're supposed to investigate and inquire and ask questions right. and delve in and look at both sides of the argument, except when it comes to religion. Yeah. <laughs> then, you know, it's like you're turning your mind off if you believe in God. So you can simply respectfully ask, well, how did you reach that conclusion? How did you become an atheist? How did you reach the position on, you know, intolerance towards religion that you have? at the moment? How did you develop those convictions? And to ask and to listen to hear the facts because you don't know how someone thinks until you realize how do they formulate their arguments. Then you read books like Douglas Jacobi's Compelling Evidence for God in the Bible and um, Francis Collins' The Language of God and Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis and you look and see what are some of those counter-arguments. But again, it's not just winning the argument. It's serving people, loving people, and understanding where they are coming from. That goes a lot further than just how to attack the argument. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, 
Well, if I can I just add to your question, uh, one of the um, one of the guys I studied with uh, was at Harvard Law, and uh, he was in the top two percent of his graduating class. Um, when he graduated, the um, he flew down to Houston for an interview, and to get him to take the job, they had him have lunch with the mayor of Houston. I mean, that's the. But he studied the Bible, and became a Christian. And the reason is, like like what John mentioned, was we were able to serve him, but on top of it, we were able to sit and say, okay, why did you? Why do you take that position? What is it that? And that comes from having your own set of convictions and being able to be strong enough to say what you have to say. But people see to it. When they, the thing was, I remember a couple of times studying with him, and, and he said, you know, I see what you're saying. I don't I agree with you, but I respect what you have to say. And so that's what keeps, when they see that you are, you know, standing on your convictions, People see that and respect that and, and will change. And God will bring about the change. So, uh, one, the, yes, you asked about how to get a family in the church. Just ask. Be vulnerable and ask. So, I'm Mama Haynes to a lot of the kids in here. Right? And they come to my house and they hang out and they eat. And as parents, that's all we want. We want to adopt more in the church. So just ask, you know, I think that's great. And in terms of the professional and, um, and the students, uh, for us, you know, the thing that we've learned is discipline as a Christian and consistency in love. Because uh, people who are professionals, and that goes for me, you know, when I, the thing that I looked at, when I was being helped to become a Christian, is that you want to see somebody's life, what they say is who they are. Mm. And they're watching. And so I have shared with many high-level people. And the thing that matters to them is that you are consistently that way. And while some of them haven't become Christians, when they met somebody that was looking for God, they said, yeah. Yeah. Call John and Vivian Haynes. And we've had people that have become Christians from somebody that we try to reach out to who's not. Because you never know how God is going to move people's hearts. For example, I was never shared by anybody. I actually ended up taking myself through the Spirit of God leading me to the right place. But I lived with seven women from the Church of Christ. And nobody shared with me because they were intimidated. Wow. Don't let anybody intimidate you. When one of them saw me years later in a conference, in a campus conference, at a hotel, she looked at me and she said, what are you doing here? And I said, <laughs> I, was just become, I just became a Christian. Oh, I'm a disciple now. I was like, oh, so excited. <laughs> and she looked at me and she says, oh my gosh, if you can become a Christian, anybody can become a Christian. <laughs> money they have, whether they say they're an atheist or not. People need God, and when they watch your life being led by God and the Spirit of God and consistency and discipline, they watch. And if they don't become Christians, they'll send somebody else that God will use them to do that. And you have a simple biblical example. Naaman 
the commander, was it the Assyrian army, mm -hmm. um, became a Christian not through high-level diplomacy or a king talking to him, through a servant girl, someone who served him. You know, I was thinking about, um, you know, to me, in my life, more people have not responded to Jesus that I've talked to or shared with than have, really. Uh, and the reality is that might have been their only chance mm -hmm. to meet Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, they might have been meeting Jesus that day and turned around and went the other way. And, and as a young man, it's still a scary verse to me in Thessalonians where Paul says, uh, because they refused to believe the truth, God sent them a strong delusion so that they would believe the lie and so be damned. Yeah. Wow. Now, spend some time on that one. You spend yeah. your life on that one. It's just kind of sad. Yeah. And so, number one, it was scary. It's like, man, I don't want it to be me. But on the other hand, I do recognize people are going to believe lies and God's going to use them you know, I, I guess as examples for some of us, like, boy, they are so extreme. I don't want to be, I, I want God used, it says, he sends them strong delusions so they will believe the lie and so be damned. So anyway, everybody's not going to make it. Mm -hmm. Don't yeah. judge your faithfulness or your Christianity right. by who becomes a Christian. Yeah. Right. Is it okay if just one person you share within your life comes a Christian. That's right. Is that okay? Yeah. Just one person? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty good for that person, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, it, and the chance is strong. You'll have an influence on so many people. Yeah. A lot of people will. Amen. But as far as your parents are concerned, one of our brothers who was baptized down at the University of Florida back in the 70s, he just baptized his dad two yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. 95 years 95. old. His daddy was yeah. 95 years old. He's not going to live much longer. But you know, so how long are you willing to love? Yeah. Your parents. Yeah. You know, and sort of yeah. be patient. Until yeah. they're 95. This brother did. He, he studied and baptized his dad. So cool. Yeah. This happens every year. Um, a lot of us don't want to stop, you know, you know, these guys don't want to stop, you don't want to stop, we're going to stop. <laughs> we'll give you an opportunity because, you know, some of you would really like to kind of meet, you know, in person, you know, some of the brothers and sisters, you know, you know, up here. Uh, thank you for your questions, for your hearts. You guys right now, you are leaders right now, but how about being leaders for a lifetime, right? We're ready to make that commitment? You know, for a lifetime, and uh, you kind of got a little glimpse into what you may be doing, some of the things you'll be sharing 30, 40 years from now, okay? We're going to stay tight all the way through, right? So, uh, guys, thank you so much. Let's really thank, you know, our North I think Jordan has some announcements. Is that right? You know, for us? Okay. Right. Hey, guys, let's get up again for all these elders.
So one of the things that I took away from this is that uh, a lot of them have, uh, have lived lives that have always been in the ministry, whether they got paid or not. And I think that's such a great example for all of us is that your hearts, no matter what position in life you are, no matter if you're married or not, no matter if you have kids or not, or where you're living, you guys always gave your heart. Because you know when you made Jesus Lord, you went into the ministry. And that's something I want all of us to take away. That, that we're, there's not, a, oh, are you in the full-time ministry? No, everyone's in the full-time ministry. Yeah. When you got baptized and made Jesus Lord, you signed the contract. Guess what? You're in the full-time ministry. Now, some of us might get paid or not. That's a little different. But all of us are in the full-time ministry. Amen, guys? So let's take out our calendars again to kind of look at what's going on next. First off is tomorrow, we said this earlier, we want to remind everybody, please wear your counterculture shirt. We're going to take a huge picture out on the hill out here. It's been like a, a little tradition of ours, so we can so we can have some just markage of who all is here. So we ask that you wear your shirt. We're taking a big picture tomorrow, just remember that. Tomorrow is our first campus day. It's going to be incredible. We're going to be going out with our campus teams. On that note, tomorrow morning we're having our, our team leaders meeting again at 9 o'clock. And get some more specifics there for what to do on campus. But also, do you see what's right on tomorrow? Do you see the word that's right before team leader meeting? Breakfast. Breakfast. And that is free. Awesome. So that's not just for the team leaders. That's for everyone that gets here at 9 or earlier. Uh, I mean, if not between 9 and 10, we'll have free breakfast. If you get here at 10 or right before 10, you probably won't get it. So just hint, hint, show up. Awesome. All right. So for tomorrow, it's going to be a good day. We're going out on campus. That means from 11 o'clock to about 4 o'clock or 3.45, you will be outside or at a restaurant if you're on campus getting lunch or between kind of walking through. So wear something comfortable, check the weather, figure out where you're going to be like. We're going to talk about this again tomorrow. The main reason we're doing this is because a lot of us through our, throughout our lifetime will go on mission trips and we'll figure out what it's like to be on campus for an entire day. And we want to go ahead and start practicing it now. See, what does it look like to be on campus for five hours only to share my faith and get in Bible studies? And figure out how to push myself. Well, let's just prepare our hearts and minds for that. Have a good, quiet time. It's going to be awesome. Um, one, one last thing, just for the North River, the, for the interns that are going to be here this summer that are getting paid, we've discussed it with you that you're getting paid interns. Can you please come see me immediately after this? We need to figure out, fill out some paperwork. We're going to be meeting in room 101 right here, just right across the little corner right here. We're going to fill out some paperwork, and you know who you are if I'm talking about that. So thank you. That's going to be a great time. But guys, thank you so much for being here. We would not miss this every year. We love having you guys. You're such a great example. Man, can you guys look out? You guys are going to be here 40 years from now. Come on. You guys are going to be here sharing. And, and you'll be able to say, unlike, unlike they did now, hey, we didn't have anybody older that was giving us wisdom when we were younger. You're going to say, I remember seeing an elder and saying, I want to be like that. So let's make the convictions now to get there. I'm going to say a final prayer, and we'll close out. Father God, thank you for this time. We are so grateful for your grace that is never ending. And that it doesn't just stop in the waters of baptism, but it will take us 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the faith. And God, I pray that the convictions that we make now, the, the things we learned this week, that they will stick. And that they will last so that we too can share 30, 40 years from now about our lives and how much you have moved in them. 
But even more importantly, God, I pray we'll all be able to share in heaven one day yeah. about the things you taught us and how you Come got on. us there. And to know that this life, no matter where we're at, is just a, a small piece of eternity. Amen. But God, we love you so much. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great night, guys. Jesus' name, have a great night. Oh, this is Yeah. 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 Y